Welcome back to our another Yak podcast. We're continuing our series called Things of This Earth, based on the book Things of the Earth by Joe Rigney. Um, this week we are in our uh, penultimate um, talk as we talk about living as a wartime Christian and what does that look like. Hope you enjoy. So today's talk is about living in wartime. In many ways, the whole next three weeks are kind of the thrust of the whole series. How do we live with the gifts God have given us in the light of the things of heaven? And this week, we're talking about the idea of living in wartime Christianity. And next week's going to be a rough week. It's a hard week. We're going to be talking about loss. Um, how, do we, how do we live with uh, when gifts are taken away? Um, and the week after that, I'm blanking on it right now, but it kind of hits the crux of Everything up to what we talked about has been leading up to this. Um, you see, much of this series, much of this series assumes you are living with a Christian worldview. It assumes you're living with a Christian worldview. This is what it assumes. It assumes you know that there are people starving and that you should do something about it. It assumes you know that people are dying and that you should do something about it. It assumes you know that people are in slavery, and we should be aware, and if possible, do something about it. It assumes you know that people are suffering, whether it's from a natural disaster or a family disaster, and you are called to step into the mess and walk alongside them. It assumes you know that people don't know Jesus, and you should be doing something about it. It assumes you are living a Christian life. So the first question clearly for you is, are you there? Are you even there? Are you even at the assumptions? Are you living what would be a considered a biblical Christian life? Are you aware of these things? And are you doing something more than just liking a link on Facebook that talks about a cause? So let me outline where we're going. The questions we, can, we have been wrestling with can be stated a couple ways. And these are the questions. How do we enjoy the good things of this world knowing all the bad things that are happening? How do we enjoy it? How do we enjoy gifts if we know there's someone else that doesn't have anything? How do we deal with the things of the earth in light of the things of heaven? And how do we properly balance a Christian life of giving and receiving? How do we do these things? How do we live with the things of this earth? So let me outline where we're going. For those of you rich in Presbyterian background, I I know you love it when I give you the three points ahead of time and give you the outline. Here's the first one. It's under one should be one. Um, it says, what is wartime Christianity? What is wartime Christianity? It's your first fill in the blank tonight. It's the first point we're going to hit. Two is where can it go wrong? Where can it go wrong? Three, how can it be used correctly? Three, how can it be used correctly? You need a pencil, Alex? So let's cover the first one. Did everyone get the first three? You wrote it down? Okay, good. Third one is how it can be used quickly. So first one we're covering tonight. What is wartime Christianity? Uh, John Piper, in his book, Let the Nations Be Glad, breaks down what a wartime lifestyle warrants. I'm going to give you a heads up. It's a long quote, but I think it's worth it. 
I don't have a John Piper voice like I had a C.S. Lewis voice last week, so I apologize. Okay? Um, in wartime, the newspaper carry, carries headlines about how troops are doing. In wartime, families talk about the sons and daughters on the front lines and write to them and pray them with heart-wrenching concern for their safety. In wartime, we are on alert. We are armed. We are vigilant. In wartime, we spend money differently. There is an austerity, not for its own sake, but because there are more strategic ways to spend money than on new tires at home. The war effort touches everybody. We all cut back. The luxury liner becomes the troop carrier. He continues a few, few chapters later with this. Jesus presses us towards a wartime lifestyle that does not value simplicity for simplicity's sake, but values wartime austerity for what it can produce for the cause of world evangelism. He said, sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourself with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail. Make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. Do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried, for all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and all these things will be added to you. The point is, the point is that an $80,000 or $180,000 salary does not have to be accompanied by an $80,000 or $180,000 lifestyle. And this is my favorite quote, probably. This is one of my favorite quotes of Piper's. And since you're filling the blank underneath one. God is, God is calling us to be conduits of his grace, not cul-de-sacs. I'm going to get it. God is calling us to be conduits, C-O-N-D-U-I-T-S, C-O-N-D-U-I-T-S, of his grace, not cul-de-sacs, C-U-L-D-E-S-A-C-S. A conduit, for those of you who are not electricians, is what electricity moves through. It's a conduit, okay? It is moving power from one area to the next. A cul-de-sac is what some of you live on. And you can tend to go round and round, and all the money can... And lifestyle can be drained to that end. It doesn't move. It just kind of sits there. Again, God is calling us to be conduits of his grace, not cul-de-sacs. Our great danger today is thinking that the conduit should be lined with gold. It shouldn't. Copper will do. No matter how grateful we are, gold will not make the world think that our God is good. It will make people think that our God is gold. This is no, this is no honor to the supremacy of his worth. As we learned last week, wealth is both good and dangerous. And one of the ways we can set up barriers for it becoming dangerous is to live in the mindset that we're at war. We should not get too comfortable with the things of the world, even if they are good, even if they shout to the glory of God. And this is your next fill in the blank underneath it. Gifts are given to us on loan. Gifts are given to us on loan. They are given for us to manage, not to worship. Again, gifts are given to us on loan. They are given for us to manage, not to worship. So where can this wartime lifestyle go wrong? It's the next, next uh, section. This one naturally flows out of what we've talked about the last few weeks. 
You were born in America. You were born into an upper middle class home, if not upper class. You eat three meals a day, if you so choose. Some of you teenagers eat four times a day. You have clothes, and by that I mean more than a week's worth. Many of you have cars available for you to drive. Should you, if you have been given all these gifts, feel guilty for having them when there are people around the planet who have none of it? Not some of it, I mean none of it. No. You should not feel guilty. Your response, and this is your next fill in the blank, your response to gifts, even in a wartime lifestyle, should be gratitude. Your response to gifts, even in a wartime lifestyle, should be gratitude. A guilty attitude to gifts is one way that a wartime lifestyle can go wrong. And maybe you're not there. Maybe you don't feel guilty for the gifts you have. Great. And maybe you'll never be there. But I promise this will come up with somebody, especially in college, as people are kind of begin to establish themselves. I just feel guilty for having this. I should do this instead. You should never feel guilty. There should be gratitude that's attached to it. You should be thankful that you were born into wealth, just as you should be thankful if you were born into poverty. A Bible calls you to each. If you suffer from first world problems, have gratitude. If you suffer from real heart-wrenching problems, be thankful. Ephesians 5.20 calls us to be thankful always. <coughs> Paul reminds us who to rely on in each of those situations. This is Philippians 4, 12, and 13. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to, be, to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That verse that's on so many tattoos is attached to the idea and the contrast of wealth and poverty. Who knew? God will give you the strength in all situations. He will. Good and bad. Remembering that you were never promised comfort. You were promised trials. You were given a fallen world. And you were promised that God would strengthen you through it all. <clears throat> but many of us know firsthand or secondhand that God gives strength in trials. The history of the church is littered with people who have done this. Unfortunately, you will not pick up an abundance of books that tell you how Christians handled wealth well. Those books are typically found in the secular sections on how Christians fell into sin. So how do we handle our wealth? How do we handle our gifts? Joe Rigney reminds us, it's difficult. It requires grace. And the Bible says that it's both possible and necessary that we learn to face abundance, to face plenty, to face life in an affluent society in a way that honors God above all wealth and honors God in all wealth. Above all wealth and in all wealth. Number two, this is number two underneath, um, how do we do it poorly? Um, it's not the next fill in the blank. That's just the next section. The way we judge others who are not living as we are. This is one way it can go wrong. The way we judge others who are not living as we are. You might be really good at living the wartime lifestyle. Or in the future, you might get really good at living the wartime lifestyle. You might already give a 10% tithe with the little income you receive from your parents, gifts, or part-time job. Fact is, it is almost always easier to live in the wartime lifestyle when you are literally are bringing in the wartime lifestyle income. A lot of you will be there in about five years. 
you'll be in college, you'll be right after college, and you'll be broke. And you're thinking, I'm living for Jesus. Because I'm giving my 10% tithe and I'm eating my ramen. I'm getting by. It's real easy to live the wartime lifestyle when you're bringing in the wartime lifestyle income. You might give to charities, give time to missions, or some of each. You might only spend money on theological books, which feed your soul in wartime. And it makes it so very easy to judge someone who is not doing what you are doing with your money. I promise, this will become harder and harder as you gain more income and as you gain more wealth. We already have an issue of propping ourselves up in terms of comparing ourselves to others. Do we not? We all compare ourselves to others constantly. When you have money and you spend it differently than someone else, you can bet a little voice will pop up in your head. They're not spending like Christians. They got a new car. How many orphans could that feed? Do they worship God or money? Could they be worshiping money and not God? Yep, absolutely they could. But my guess is, is you're probably not in a role to confront them. If you are an elder or a deacon or an older woman in a church, then maybe you could ask them some questions. But you know what you can do, even as a 17-year-old making $10 a week? And this is your next show on the blank. Model someone who has gratitude with the gifts they have been given and open-handed with the wealth that they have. Model someone who has gratitude with the gifts they are given and open-handed with the wealth that they have. Say that one more time. Model someone who has gratitude with the gifts they are given, they have been given, and open-handed with the wealth they have. You can do that. If you're 15 and you're making five bucks a week on allowance, you can do that. Would someone make the claim that we just wrote down about you? Would someone say, hey, they are, they have gratitude with the gifts they've been given and they're open-handed with the wealth they have. Would someone make that claim about you? Would you make that claim about you? Or do you think that you are the farthest from it? This is the last one, and this is the hardest one to master for some of you. It's not for me. It's the way I was built and what my father drilled into me. Thinking short-term versus thinking long-term. Thinking short-term versus thinking long-term. Here are a couple of scenarios that you will come across, especially if you're living the wartime lifestyle, if, if, especially if living a wartime lifestyle is at your forefront of thought. You're about to get married, which means, if you haven't already, you are graduating from a twin to a full queen or king-size bed. Congrats. Marriage is wonderful. Should you get the cheap bed off Craigslist or the new bed your spouse wants for an extra $250? Clearly, your spouse does not love the Lord like you do. I mean, what could the kingdom of God do with an extra $250? I'll tell you what. Buy a new bed in a year because the one on Craigslist is broke a year after that. Until you get a product that you can give for free to your children or great-grandchildren instead of giving a product that you can give for free to your children or grandchildren because of its quality. Sometimes, and I easily fall into this category, we think too short-term and not long-term enough in our purchases. Especially if you're living the wartime lifestyle. I'll just get the cheap one. You might want to spend some money. 
Your grandfather gives you an old Lexus. Driving around a Lexus will make you look wealthy and out of touch with what is important, right? You could sell it and buy a clunker and give the extra money to save something. (laughs) Or you respond the way we discussed, in gratitude, not judging others' purchases, but thinking long-term. Understand this economic principle. This is your next fill in the blank. Nothing is free. Nothing. Nada. What rocks dream about. <laughs> Nothing is free. So someone paid for it. <laughs> if you are convinced that you need to live a wartime lifestyle and you sell your car so you don't have to pay maintenance and insurance and then you send all that extra money to a mis- missionary, that sounds really holy. But the roommate you have that is driving you everywhere is paying for your wartime lifestyle. You ain't living cheaply. You are making someone else give up their time and resources for your choices. I know these, some of these examples sound like silly. I've, I've seen them all. All of them. First hand. And a lot of these were taken from the book. And I've seen them. Which means he's seen them too. Which means there's like a group of these people that live this way. <laughs> They're out there, and you will encounter them. Here's the second and last economic principle to help guide you to not vote for Bernie Sanders. Here's the next (laughs) second and last economic principle to help guide you. And this is this. Wealth isn't fixed. Wealth isn't fixed. What I mean is, if someone gets richer, someone doesn't get poorer in the process. Wealth, as a circle, grows. It is not fixed. Everyone can get more wealthy and also not damage the wealth of others. Human beings can mix their creative labor with the vast potential of God's created order and develop and produce amazing things, increasing the total wealth and value in the world. Wealth is not fixed. So lastly, how can we live wartime correctly? I've already given you tons of little nuggets, most of which are the fill in the blanks, but I want to stress a few of them. Here are ways you can do it correctly. Number one, model it. Like runway model it. What does your conscience ask you to give up? What does your conscience ask you to not partake of for the sake of the kingdom? We talked about some of that during our self-denial task talk last week. Model a wartime lifestyle to others. Because in the first world, there aren't a lot of people who do model it. Because they are way too focused on living in peacetime. And again, we live in Frisco. There aren't a lot of people who are modeling what what a wartime lifestyle are. You will get people noticing, why aren't you? i got a budget. I don't have the money to spend that this month. I can't go out with you again. My money at the beginning of a month all has a name. And I can't spend it because I'm out of money in this category. That's crazy. You just took it. No, I can't. Say no. I'm self-denying in some areas so I can do X with my money. Model it. Two. Another crazy idea. Give generously. 
when you are invest when you are inviting someone over for a meal, don't buy them ramen and call it a wartime lifestyle. Thank you for coming over for dinner. I can't wait to have our friendship advance. Here's some ramen and here's some curry powder powder you can throw on it if you want. I love ramen too. I love ramen. I'm not anti ramen. But if you're going to invite someone who are you are getting to know for a meal, don't justify your cheapness. For the sake of, well, I'm living as a Christian, so this is just how you're doing tonight. Okay? Treat them, honestly, and maybe some of you would, so I'm not going to use that analogy. I was going to say, you know, if you wouldn't make it for Jesus, don't make it for them. But I'd I'd be shocked if everyone in the room said they wouldn't give Jesus ramen. So there's probably one of you in here that would be like, Jesus loves ramen. Okay, so don't buy ramen and call it a wartime lifestyle. Invest in your relationships generously. Invest in your community generously. Why? Because it's a wartime. You would do that in wartime. Invest in your relationships and your community generously. Three, I've already kind of stretched some of it. Think strategically. For you high schoolers, this isn't much more of a do-it-today thing. Because For you high schoolers, this is much more of a do-it-today thing. Because independence is coming quickly. If you don't have a plan for how you're going to spend your time, money, and energy in college, then you will stumble. A 15th century sailor knew the general idea of where he was heading. If he didn't, he starved or he drowned. I can probably ask any woman in here, and she can give me a description of what she's looking for in a guy. She has thought about it. You wonder why guys are so lost half the time. Because we aren't thinking about the long term. We think, well, she's cute. Develop a plan. Develop a plan. With your money, with your college time, and when your plan fails. I can guarantee you, you will be better prepared than someone who never had one to begin with. Think strategically. Okay, we're going to discuss this more in transformation groups. There are cookies? Thanks for listening to another Yak podcast. If you want more information on Yak, you can visit us at cccfrisco.org. Hope you join us again next week. Thanks for listening.